Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast, and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of the Ecom Show and today I'm here with the founder of uh, Perth Creation and the trade manager of the company. So the founder is Jay and the trade manager is Aaron. It's great to have you here guys. Where are you at the moment? I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I'm down in the actual shop, down in the trenches with the uh, the production. So down in Chillicothe. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and uh, you know that that's what a real trade manager should do. That's I guess. right, on the floor, ready to go. Yeah, you are in the trenches, so that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for joining us. And uh, you have a special story because uh, last time when we talked. You told me that uh, now you are close to 100,000 customers, but actually marketing and online marketing is, uh, of course, you do you do you do that. But un- you know, unlike many e-commerce companies, you are less at heavy, and that's something that you don't really push. Actually, you have a very good organic traction, and this took more than nine years to build up. So it's not something that you start today and you get to 100k customers tomorrow um so yeah and also these guys they are big on etsy which is also something interesting i talked to a few etsy sellers and and business founders but i always found that their business was actually not that big um so yeah a few interesting things here for today but let's start with your uh, origins. So, Jay, why did you start this company and uh, when was this exactly? So the company's been around uh, about 10 years and I started it fresh out of grad school. So I went to grad school for genetics. Um, I got out. I thought I was going to pursue maybe an entrepreneurial path within genetics. Um, but I quickly found out that I guess the market wasn't ready for the era of personal uh, genetics uh, or personalized medicine. We were a little, uh, I guess it is 10 years out. So we'll pro- it'll probably be rolling out soon. Uh, but I was kind of chomping at the bit to start a business. Um, I had a small hobby, which was, believe it or not, collecting antique bottles. Um, one thing led to another and pretty soon um, you know, I was selling hundreds of, of lights made out of uh, pre-prohibition beer bottles, uh, which were kind of ornate, and we would uh, kind of turn them into light bulbs and tell the history behind them. Um, long story short, it was an awful business, uh, as you can imagine. Um, you know, but I think that experience of you know going out of our way to collect these bottles building these labor-intensive lamps, putting them in retail. Um, You know, the margins were bad, the labor was high. Um, So kind of as we evolved, it was like taking off the ankle weights, you know, for lack of a better term. 
because we we had worked so hard in, in such a poor business. And everything was like out of the your what is it, grandmother's garage too, right? With black iron pipes and yeah. By the end of it, we had we had semis pulling up to my grandmother's driveway <laughs> um, to to pick up orders. So very humble beginnings, very scrappy business. Yeah. When was this? Ten years ago, roughly. Yeah, roughly ten years ago. Yeah. So interesting beginnings, and uh, what happened after in the following years? So for a while, we were in regional uh, retail. So the, the way these, I guess the way our market worked was we would obtain these bottles from all the large cities around us because at the time, um, you know, there were, there were breweries in each one of these local cities. So we would, we would obtain those bottles at shows. We would build the lights, take them to retail. Um, and pretty soon we started to sell more online. And as you can imagine, our product was a very niche product. Um, so, you know, between selling direct to consumer and finding a broader audience, like that was obviously the place to head. Um, so, yeah. And, and that was probably during the era of our like first, like our one and only big push towards marketing um, was localized Facebook ads, which were killing it at the time. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, we, uh, we, we kind of were growing at a clip where, um, we had to turn the ads off because unlike a kind of a pack and, and ship or pick and pack business, um, you know, we had to build all these lights so we could only grow so fast. Yeah. You, you turned off the, those ads, right? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Because we could we could sell enough, um, you know, without paying Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so until recently, organic has been or, or had been the main channel, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Amazon. Uh, you were on Amazon before, right? We were. At, at one point, that made up half of our business. Um, okay. so we had some struggles with Amazon, Amazon, obviously at the time and still is, they were growing, you know, lightning fast. Um, we had a series of orders and what we had is an automation to send tracking to the customers that broke down for the period of like a week and they were growing so fast. They booted us. We couldn't talk to anybody. Um, we were absolutely devastated at the time. Um, but in hindsight, it turned out to be probably the best thing that ever happened to us. Um, because that's kind of the point where we, we broadened our catalog from kind of the industrial style to mid-century modern and to some art deco. Um, and, you know, look for other places to sell. Um, one being our website and the other being Etsy. And then... You know, I think at that time as well, we moved completely out of retail. So, you know, it, it just creates a better profit margin. And um, Amazon was, it was a beast to deal with at the time. It was just, you, you just felt like a cog and that you didn't matter. Um, you know, they were, they were taking much more money than say Etsy, obviously better than retail, but um, you know, we found better margins over on Etsy. 
Yeah. So it took ha- half of your business at some point, but then uh, Over, overnight, overnight, it was very scary time period. Yeah. And then they just shut it down or you decided to shut it down, right? They decided to shut us down and we really couldn't get in contact with anyone. Yeah. Must, must have been scary. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about Etsy. So I don't know much about that platform. You know, when we talk about Shop, uh, Shopify and uh, Amazon, Etsy, Etsy is probably the one where you know I I know the least about. So, um, how did you get started there? How could you scale it? Are you still on this platform? Okay. Yes, we're we're still there, and um, you know, over half of our sales are from Etsy. And we just opened that color store last year. Um, yeah. One of our sister stores on the Etsy platform, and it, I mean, um, immediately we start doing well. I mean. It, we, I think we started on Etsy in maybe 2013, 14, you know, so they were, they were a pretty young company, um, great to work with, but they, they had a similar trajectory that all e-commerce did, you know, Amazon, and, you know, the rest of them, yeah. they were, they were growing each year by leaps and bounds. Um, and, and we kind of found our space in, you know, designing lighting, um, that I, I don't think, I think people were, a lot of people were there to shop for home goods. I think it skews towards female. Um, and we happened to find a niche there where, you know, there not too many people existed. Um, you know, most people were more on the craft end and weren't, you know, working with electronics and wiring and all that. Yeah. Um, so it ended up being great for us. I think the, the pricing on Etsy for us was just so competitive comparatively. I mean, our fixtures were definitely the more luxurious or extravagant, but we, we were able to offer them at very affordable prices because everything's kind of done in-house and taken care of that way. Yeah. And, and, and back to Amazon, I think that had we stayed there, it, it's not a great fit for what we do. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think that we're more toward the, the boutique lighting end, um, whereas a lot of their stuff is from overseas and, you know, maybe a little cheaper components. Yeah, definitely. And... Uh... What's your average order value? Just you know, uh, average order value is probably around two hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, yeah, I think now I, I think now the listeners they can imagine that uh, it's yeah, Amazon is not the best fit because if someone looks for lighting to two fifty, that's uh, you know it's not the cheapest category for sure. Absolutely, no, it's more high end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you could probably pick up a vanity there for 30 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk more about the products because, uh, yeah, definitely not a cheap product. You try different platforms and you got a very nice organic traction and, and not just on one channel, but, you know, many channels. So what's the, what's the secret sauce there? Secret sauce? The secret sauce is... I think letting the customer pull the product out of us, um, you know, and that's, that's one big advantage to, you know, building our own lights where, you know, if, if a customer asks for something, you know, we can build it. And if one person wants it, there's likely a broader market for it. Um, so really, you know, back to what you said, our marketing strategy was just make sure we have, what the customer wants on the shelf 
when they're shopping for it. And that makes it so much easier than trying to push anything down, you know, the throat of somebody who may or may not want it. And we have all those, like, like you said before, like the flexibility and interchangeability of the parts we have, you know, our catalog is, is super extensive at this point. I think we have over 3000 fixtures. So just the versatility alone, I think is what has allowed to that success. Like he was saying with the organic growth. Yeah, that's amazing. Let's talk about, uh, you know, how to personalize, how to customize these products because, uh, selling that online is, is a challenge. So. I, let's say I'm, I'm interested in your products. I go to your website and uh, how can I customize the products? How much I can customize the product? Aaron, Aaron, do you want to take this one? This is a good one for you. Yeah. So the standard approach, like when you go to a website, our website, any of our stores, uh, there is a multitude of finish combinations you can select. So, you know, we offer raw brass, we offer steel brass, polished nickel, antique brass, brush nickel, copper. So you can always choose and um, kind of, pick your fixture from the finish. We also now offer um, powder coated colors. So you've got that option. We offer wood style canopies. We do beech wood and oak wood. So there's a lot of different ways to customize the various fixtures. So you'll select a fixture and they'll have options. We've got tons of drop rods. So if you're doing like a pendant or you're doing like a chandelier or something like that, we can adjust the length for you. And then if you need something a little bit more specialized, um, we can see what we can get done for you. It's all based on production. You know, certain things are more acceptable than others. But um, one thing we love to do is definitely work with customers and make sure that when they get the fixture that they're looking for, it is what they're looking for. Uh, and I think that's our best uh, approach when it comes to that. So we love working with people um, and kind of just seeing what other people might come up with. We've had several designs in the last two months that uh, customers have kind of been like, well, can you do this? Can you do that? And we ended up taking it and showing them what we could do. And now we sell that fixture. So like, there's a lot of really cool customization and opportunity if you want to reach out. Hey, Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic. So it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Yeah, actually, I'm on the website now and I'm clicking around. So uh, now I'm, I'm uh, checking out the vanity uh, product. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm just, yeah, I just try to make uh, people, the listeners understand how this is set up technically, you know, on the mm-hmm. website. So mm-hmm. basically that is this product vanity. And then uh, that is model number 45, 64. And then, you know, there are different numbers and those, they have different product pages, right? Yes. And uh, Once I click them, I just have to, uh, pick the finish, which is there are only three types for each. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, to answer your question about customization, um, you know, we would love to get it to a place where there's uh, a wonderful user interface and customers can, you know, easily um, mix and match colors and styles and switches. But um, the way it works right now is is pretty simple. It's like, yeah, um, for the most part, the customer will reach out to us and you know ask if we can do something um most of the times we can and then we have a series of add-ons that are 
what we call like a substitution add-on, an addition add-on. Um, but that, those are kind of buckets that allow us to do quick customization and have the customer check out efficiently. Well, certainly there's, there's room for more technical, uh, a more technical approach to that. Like yeah. that's used to add switches and uh, shades. If you want to switch out your shade or your fixture kind of look, you can do those. Yeah, I think last time we discussed that uh, big enterprises, they use uh, these different 3D and um, yeah, different 3D tools that uh, it can even put the, the lightning into, into your room on the wall if you want. I think that's yeah. AR basically. And uh, yeah, you can use those. Uh, however, I, I have something more simple here, which I think it's realistic to use uh, for any kind of company. And uh, this is um, an AI, AI chatbot. Uh, so people, they could chat you up. And if you want, you can put a real human on the other side. But if you want, you can put an AI there. And uh, there is a database. It knows all the you know, all the popular items and it can show different offers with images. Uh, it pulls it up from a database. I think that's something interesting. And, it's uh, funny you mentioned that. Um, yeah. <laughs> because last night I was playing with chat GPT assistant mm -hmm. and all I did was basically dump our entire website and, of, of listings into the assistant. And I started probing it for questions and it was unreal. I mean, absolutely unreal, like how it puts everything in context and can reference it and synthesize it. Yeah, I was blown away. Yeah, it's definitely a direction we've started in the last uh, week, especially with the new uh, model rolling out that we've been kind of playing with and seeing what it's capable of. It's a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can discuss this after the podcast. Now, I, I don't want to talk about this, but actually in my company, we have something regarding this and... Uh, we could also see really great things uh, with AI chatbots. Um, so organic growth, and that, that's your the main driver of your growth. But yeah. I know you started running ads. So what, what platforms do you use and then how much, uh, let's say what percentage of your sales come from ads now? Um, so I guess the reason we started running ads was you know once you're you've kind of maximized your your shelf space and you're, you're everywhere then you know the growth that's left is you know getting the word out so that's kind of where we are right now um and so we started simple um with some google ads uh i guess google shopping ads um as well as pinterest ads uh but we'll, we'll be headed to instagram you know very shortly um, obviously, we're a visual product, so we want to be, you know, in a visual medium. Yeah, makes sense. And finally, influencer marketing or affiliate, is this something that you, you do or, or want to do in the future? I, I started out with a few bad experiences with influencer marketing. Yeah, yeah. I got hit by, like, kind of the wave of entitled millennials that, you know, feel like they deserve the world for a shout out of your product. Yeah. Um, and I, I indulge them. And then, you know, some of them even forgot to mention it. And I would have to hound them. Um, I, 
I was I was turned off initially, but um, you know now that we're focused more on marketing, it's probably something I'll get back to. And I know there's been a couple that have uh, we've been in contact with um, to hopefully get that those relationships built and get the stuff out there with that not shut off the avenue completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, unlike ads where you just you know it's it's software the software manages it the algorithm here uh, there is a big human factor and there are many ways to fail here like uh, you have to find the right people mm -hmm. you know fit your brand your products your audience all of that and then uh, the financial part and probably the worst thing i i could see is that you know when um, the influencer the, the post itself what they post is just really off it's it's really far what you want to see how you want to see your products represented by them um yeah as far as influencers go um we've really started to eye some of the um interior designers on instagram and they they kind of sit in a beautiful position where you know they're they're in a home or they're in a a restaurant and every single contractor that they use they shout out they shout out the restaurant they're redoing everybody yeah. that supplied it so they they kind of sit as the hub of all uh -huh. these people yeah. and have become wonderful influencers so that's that's kind of a space that you know we really want that yeah yeah so basically uh, multiple uh, pages on Instagram, they give a shout out to you. That's what you are talking about. Uh, or, or they give a shout out to the one influencer. Yeah. If you, if you think about uh, an interior designer, they show a photo of mm -hmm. what they've designed. Within that photo is every single contractor, every single product that goes into that photo. So they're yeah. all getting shout outs and they all end up on that page. And it's, it's kind of something to huddle around. Um, yeah. So I think it's I think it's a great place to be. And it's the right type of influence that we need. Like the designers are the people that our customers are going to be looking at. So like the, those are going to be, you know, the high value people for us, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw something similar with uh, fashion items that I think that's quite uh, frequent that uh, let's say there is an influencer, they wear some t-shirt and then jeans and then shoes and they just tag each product. And if mm -hmm. you like any of them, you will check it out and you will go to the Instagram page or the website of that brand. That's really smart, I think. It, it's very soft sales, not too pushy and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, more about, you know, the personal side. So I'm curious, uh, because you did a very different thing, Jay, right? Before, um, before this business. So how did you learn entrepreneurship? Do you have a mentor or do, do you follow podcasts? Maybe do you read books or how have you learned entrepreneurship? Um, really, I think there's there always like a drive to become an entrepreneur. When I got into it, I had zero clue of what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think initially, like, um, I read a lot of books, podcasts, um, and I don't know how much they truly helped my business, 
but it kind of normalized entrepreneurship and made me feel like there were other people out there doing it. Um, so, you know, I think one of the first books I read was, um, was it Purple Cow by Seth Godin? Um, yeah. So he's, he's like a, a huge or was a huge marketing influencer. Um, and it almost hired kind of the product one the bottle went because that was my purple cow. But little, little did I know, um, you know, we, we didn't need to be that far out there as yeah. far as a myth to, to make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think podcasts, podcasts have been one of the best things to, to really normalize what I'm doing. Because I, I can imagine 10 years prior to, to all this being out there that people would feel very lonely, especially a small town like I was, where I had no peers kind of doing what I was doing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm also from a small town. Now I live in a big city, but still, um, especially 10 years ago, running an online business, uh, because there are entrepreneurs in local communities, right? Like, I don't know, the local pub, the local uh, restaurant, the local gym, whatever. But uh, you manage your online business and people, they can buy from you anywhere in the world. So it's just so different than running a local gym, let's say. Oh, yeah. For sure. Even the mindset, right? And, and it's much more scalable as well. Yeah. And I, I do think over the years it's become much more normalized. Like you, you could almost say that it's it's trendy or in vogue or just a product of the modern economy. But there's a lot more, you know, freelancers are just a step away from an entrepreneur, you know. And, you know, yeah. a lot of people are working from home. There's more freedom. So I think that there's never a better time for sure to to start a uh -huh. business. Yeah. Um, I know you have a team of uh, more than 20 people now. And uh, yeah. I, I wonder what's your mindset on this? Because I can see two paths. Uh, one is that people, the business owner, the founder, they build an in-house team. They like controlling the brand voice and you know all aspects of not just marketing, but production and different things. And I can see others who rather uh, outsource things. They try to keep it lean. And I even know people who they make low seven figures and that is only one founder or two founders. And that's really it. And some VAs. What's your uh, mindset on this? My mindset on, I guess, how much I would like to keep in, in labor, how lean I would like to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're just innately going to be a little more labor intensive business if, if we want to keep control of, you know, our ability to give the customer what they want. You know, we have to have that in house um, and, and be dynamic uh, and, and just respond to not only, you know, individual customers, but trends as a whole. It's, it's, it's similar to the fashion business, you know, whereas you know, they, they might have seasonal change. We have maybe, you know, change every three to five years. So we always have to, to stay dynamic. And part of that is having a big skilled workforce that can, that can manage that. And just being plugged in in general, like Jay is very plugged into, you know, the, the trends that are coming, you know, things that are going out of style. I think him and the R&D team definitely always have like 
their thumb on the pulse of, of what's going on so we can kind of either stay ahead or at yeah. least be where we need to be when it hits. So like there's a lot of focused involvement, I feel, uh, from yeah. upper places. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think most people, they know the term fast fashion. Uh, if you think about age and age and them or Zara or these companies, but I'm not sure if they know about uh, your uh, industry and, and home decor in general. Uh, yeah. So how trends work there? Are they, I, I guess it's a bit slower than in fashion because in fashion, it's literally every month is different exactly. or every season is different. But it's, it's, it's very similar where, you know, it's not like a utility where you can design something that works and it stays pretty similar for the longest time. Okay. Like you, you, you always have to be moving to some extent. So every year is different. I, I wouldn't say every year, but um, I would say like every three years, there's kind of a big shift in the, okay. the general mood of what designers are looking for. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I guess you can also see differences regarding age of customers, the age of the customers and, and gender maybe, or maybe location. I don't know. Yeah. No, the, like uh, if, if you get somebody that's younger, they're going to be more likely to be renting an apartment. They don't want to install fixtures. So there'll be lights that they hang that actually plug in rather than, you know, being, uh, I guess, fixed to the wall with hardware. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever had this as a challenge that uh, because your price is, as, as you said, AOV is 250. So yeah. have you ever had a challenge to explain to people why it's expensive and uh, why it's a good, good purchase? So one thing that makes it super easy is there are, you know, I, I would say, 20 or 30 boutique lighting companies. And, you know, when you get some of these customers that have, um, I guess, anchored themselves to the pricing over there, we look dirt cheap. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so that their price point might be, you know, three or four times ours. Okay. So even 1K or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think we are great, like, we offer the boutique lighting, but we kind of bridge that gap into the more affordable area. So I think we've just hit that great sweet spot in between those two, like affordable and boutique um, that, that really, I think, has given us an edge over a lot of competitors is that that competitive pricing that we have. And really, it's the, the quality parts and kind of staying with the trends that allow us to, to operate in that space. So compared to most boutique companies, you are affordable, but compared to the mass, you can find them on Amazon type of brands. You are failed. Yeah, absolutely. Build that gap. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of why we're, we would love to, to work with more interior designers. Um, for the simple fact is like, they're, they're looking for somebody like us. Like if they go to Walford, they go to Walmart or Amazon or anybody like that to bring fixtures into a home, they lose credibility, you know? Yeah. Um, so for them to find something unique that they can offer their customer, um, you know, that's kind of boutique designer and at an affordable price, it's, it's just perfect for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, so 
These are the final words uh, for this episode. Thanks, uh, Jay and Aaron. If anyone wants to find your products, where they should go? They should definitely go to our website, which we're trying to get uh, more and more people to go to. That is paircreation.com, uh, spelled P-E-A-R-E-D. Um, so please check us out. And if you're a designer, hit us up at supportpairedcreation.com. <laughs> We'd yes. love to work with you. Yeah, both designers and uh, potential customers, check this out. We will put this into the description so everyone they can uh, find these links and email address. I will add one more link into the description, which is our uh, top 100 email templates. This is from my company. We sent out more than 400 million emails in the past uh, almost seven years, and we collected the top 100 templates and uh, we made this publicly available. I will add this link into the description as well. And thanks, uh, Jay and Aaron, again. Thanks, everyone who listened to us. And uh, have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much.